return is very close And so you better be believing that our God is an awesome God Our God is an awesome God Welcome to a service at Holy Life Tabernacle in Brookings, South Dakota. We are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Now let's go into the sanctuary and here's today's message. Thank you, Diana, for your help. And thank you all the teachers that help in Sunday school as well, being here uh, Sunday mornings, patients coming early to pray. Thank you for that. Appreciate that. Let's stand just for a second with our Bibles. Amen. Say it with me. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I'm about to receive the incorruptible indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah. Thank you for being here today. Let me first read something on perspective, all right? A small amount of perspective is important probably at this time, maybe in our history, when we think about what's been happening. Imagine you were born in 1900. When you're 14 years old, World War I starts and ends at your 18th birthday with 22 million people that got killed. A year later, the Spanish flu epidemic hits the world and runs until you're 20, and 50 million people died from the Spanish flu. Think about that. 50 million people died from the Spanish flu. When you're 29, the Great Depression hits. Unemployment is 25%. Global domestic production drops to 27%. That runs until you're 33. The country nearly collapses along with the world economy. And when you turn 39, World War II starts. You aren't even over the hill yet, just 39. When you're 41, the United States is fully pulled into World War II. Between your 39th and 45th birthday, 75 million people die in the world Six million of those in the Holocaust. At 52, the Korean War starts, and another five million people die. Approaching your 62nd birthday, you have the Cuban Missile Crisis, the tipping point in the Cold War. Our life and our planet as we know it could have ended, but it didn't. And fortunately, calmer heads prevailed. At 64, the Vietnam War begins, and it doesn't end for many years And four million people die in the Vietnam War. And as you turn 75, the Vietnam War finally ends. Think of everyone born in 1900. How do you survive all that? A kid in 1985 didn't think their 85-year-old grandparents understood how hard school was. Yet those grandparents, or now great-grandparents, survived through everything listed above. Now, through that time... Many, many people talked about the Antichrist through world wars, talked about the Antichrist, talked about the end of the world, talked about the things going on, the horrible things going on. And now let's just face it a second. The things going on today actually pale compared to these things that have happened through history. 
But most of our world today, percentage-wise, is young people or younger people. Let's put it that way. And so they have no, they have no uh, place to, to uh, compass to bring a, state, a stable thing to their life. So most people look at today and think, oh, it's just horrible. It's the end of the world. What's all going on? And have no idea what's already happened in the past. So in many ways, history, history can help us to put things in perspective. Amen? You need a perspective so that, so that not only can you face today, but you can face tomorrow. You need a perspective to see when you think it's just horrible, everything's falling apart, to realize, no, it's not falling apart. Holy Spirit is still moving. Holy Spirit is still working. Even, even this last year, with many of the racial issues and so forth, most of our population doesn't remember the 1960s when there was tremendous, tremendous racial disparity and tremendous riots around our country. And most people don't even remember that. It wasn't part of their compass. They weren't born yet or whatever, you know. My kids weren't born yet. And so, so when you look at today, and everybody can be quick to jump to a conclusion, temper it a little bit. And what we temper it with is the Word of God. Amen. So the first scripture, of course, is why is it the last day? Why is it the last days? Well, in Acts chapter two, it just says in the last days, he'll pour out his spirit. It is the last days because the Bible says it's the last days. It's not based on necessarily events. It's based on the word of God. So the last days it should come to pass in the last days, says God. I'll pour out my spirit. Now, that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. So that is the beginning of. Of the end. That happened about 2,000 years ago, right? So that is the beginning of the last days on this planet as we know it. So we want to always keep focusing. You know, sometimes people, again, the focus is some even for souls like, oh, it's the last days. You got to get ready. We never know when it's your last day. You never know your last day on this earth or when you're leaving this earth. We, we would all hope to live many more years. But we have this moment right now where we're talking. This is actually the now. What, would, what happened just five minutes ago is already history. And so you have to redeem your time, make the most of your time for Jesus. If you're not saved, of course, you want to give your life. You're watching this. You want to give your life to Jesus Christ. Because we don't know the day, the time, the hour when we're departing, nor when he's coming, <laughs> for that matter. So you always want to be ready. Amen. Turn your neighbor and say, be ready. You want to be ready to meet the Lord. You want to be ready to stand in his presence. If you're following us right now from any country, and you might be even in different religions, but I want to encourage you that Jesus Christ is alive today, and he's as close as the mention of his name. And you can just, you can be in your home, you're watching on your phone or something, but you can just say, Jesus and he will reveal himself to you. He will give a revelation of himself to you, to your life, that he is the Savior. He is the Most High God. He's the only living God. Hallelujah. <laughs> so the last days begin then. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 3 then says some more things. So, so it says, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud. Now, this, is, this didn't happen overnight. This is just a progress. This has been going on for a long time, right? But again, it's the last days. 
People are self-centered. People love money. It's all about money. Very arrogant and proud and blasphemers, disobedient to parents and unthankful and unholy. So unthankfulness is a key. You should always ask your kids to be thankful. You should ask them to be thankful for their food. You should be thankful for their clothes. If you give them something, you should teach them to say thank you. Amen. Amen. To say thank you. Thankfulness is a huge thing to God. All right. So they're unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control. We see all these things brutal. We see this around the world. Despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, more than rather than lovers of God. And we see that. Have a form of godliness. Many, many in the, even in the United States say, oh, I'm a Christian, but never go to church, never live for Jesus. Have a form of godliness, but deny its power. And then it says, from such people. Such people are all these here. <laughs> this isn't where you want your close friends. Hello. You don't want your close friends here. You can, you can befriend somebody. You can be nice to somebody. But your close friends, you want your close friends to live godly. Amen. You want your close friends to, to live for Jesus Christ. That's just key. Otherwise, otherwise, the people we hang around with, we're either going to influence them or they're going to influence us. And if we're not speaking up for Jesus Christ, then, then what happens, they end up dragging us down. It's like a couple meets, a couple meets as far as they like each other and so forth for marriage. But the Bible says don't be unequally yoked. If you marry somebody who's not really in love with Jesus, I'll guarantee you, some people think, oh, they'll, they'll change. No, they won't. Now, I've been through 40 years of marriages and so forth and divorces. And so let's just say this. They're not going to change. And if they do, hallelujah, it's a rare, rare setting. So don't marry somebody who's already way out there, not loving God or just kind of fringe. You want to make sure they really love Jesus. Amen. You're going to spend your life with them, live in the same house and plan to be prosperous as far as in your faith. You better marry somebody who loves Jesus. Amen. Don't be unequally yoked. Marry someone who's excited for God. That should be the prerequisite. Second of all, whether they look nice, okay, that's nice too. All right? But first and foremost, that they really love Jesus. Amen. Amen. <laughs> all right. Revelation chapter 6. So we're talking today about the last days. And, and he opens the seal and he sees the souls of those that had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony that they held. Now notice, these are martyrs and they were killed because of the word of God, their stand with God and for their testimony for Jesus Christ. So anything that I'm talking about today, when you talk about the last days, we're talking about, we're talking about uh, uh, that testimony specific to Jesus. It's not about anything else. It's not about the world or whatever stands you have. It's about Jesus Christ. And it says, They cried with a loud voice, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you judge and avenge, until you judge and avenge our blood on those that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given to each of them. And it was said that they should rest a while longer until their number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. So all over the world, even today, sadly, uh, there are more people dying for Jesus. Of course, the population is bigger, of course. But there's more people dying for Jesus than any other time in history. 
More people in the world are dying for Jesus Christ, for the testimony specific for Jesus Christ. Many in Africa, of course, many in the Middle East, many in Asia. Keep in mind that the United States, we live, like I've said many times, we live in a bubble. So what people think in the United States here is basically a first world problem, okay? It's not a third world problem. It's not a real issue. It's not a life and death problem. All right, so again, you have to temper it with what's going on in the world. Amen? So all over the world, there's things going on right now. Today is a Sunday. Now, it's Sunday for us, but Sunday's over already in India and so forth. It's later Sunday night and all that. But, but you have to understand that we're part of this body of being alive for Christ right now. 2 Timothy chapter 3 then. So Paul was saying here, you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium. Now, you can read about this in the book of Acts. We'll do this another time. At Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Now, I want to point out something. What persecutions I endured. You never see people in the Bible uh, pronouncing judgment against the persecutors. They never pronounce judgment against the persecutors, the cities, the countries, never. All right? Nor against them attacking them right then. What Paul says here, I endured. Remember, he's pulled out of the city and stoned to death. And then they're standing around and God raised him up, right? So, so I mean, uh, pretty amazing stuff. So these are things that, that Paul, he says, you know, my life, purpose, faith. People are watching him. He was an example. And he's an example for us today to follow. All right, example of faith. And he says, all that live godly, who desire to live godly in Christ, will suffer persecution. And, and notice the word all, that this is kind of a, something that it shouldn't take us by surprise if, if people don't like us, if people come against us. It should not take us by surprise if we know the word of God. We realize, okay, well, this happened to those in the Bible. Yeah. Amen. If it happened to them in the Bible, we shouldn't ever think that we're exempt from that. And, and understand me now again. I'm talking to you as Americans, and some of you are listening from other countries. You understand this better. And many of you from other countries understand this better. But, but these are things that happen, are happening today, and eventually will happen in the United States. They will happen here also. Now, people can say, well, how do you know that? Because the Bible says all the world will go after the beast. Okay, all the countries, all the nations. So there will be a world government. There will be a world economy. All these things are being set up today. All these things are happening right now behind closed doors, different things taking place. See, in some sense, in some sense, we look at People can, can, we can march for certain things, but we also have to understand, like Pastor Rannon was saying, a magician's doing one trick here, but he's doing something else with the other hand that you're not noticing. And our country specifically is going into a place of a cashless society and a socialist state where everything, everything, everything is controlled by the government. Every financial thing. That's why, it's why, it's why the government loves that you have debit cards. The government loves when you don't carry cash. Don't have any cash in your pocket. You know, 
People are, I don't have any cash now. I just use my debit card for everything. They love that. Stores now are all becoming cashless. Checkouts or checkouts are all electronic. Everything's just done with a card or no people. You have cashless grocery stores in California. So everything, everything in our planet, see, is already, people are looking at all these other things, but all, meanwhile, all this other stuff is getting set, set in place by the economists, by bankers, by the government that people aren't even thinking about. It's an interesting time. Interesting time in which we live and to be aware of. We thought it was a big deal in 1975 uh, when we got engaged and then got married when they put barcodes on products. We thought, oh, barcodes, that's a, that's a sign like a mark of the beast. You know, everything's going to be electronic. And, of course, it took a while for all that to take place. But the barcodes used to be, for you younger people, it used to be someone go click and put a little price tag on something. Now everything's barcoded. Everything's got a barcode. Everything's electronic. Everything you want. Zip, zip, zip. Just scan it, scan it, scan it. You don't need it. Everything's marketed a certain way. Yeah. You might, even my bank card from town just got a notice. It's going to be new and better. This is better than ever. Just tap, tap. Don't need a thing. Right from town here. And you're going to get it if you have one of their cards. That's how it goes. Or you choose not to have a card, but if you don't have a card and you walk up to someone and say, here's a $20 bill. We don't have cash. We don't carry cash here. You can't pay for anything cash. So you have to have something, see? So meanwhile, see, while everybody's distracted with all these things, the enemy is just boop, 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 putting everything in place. And most Christians are unaware of even these things. Most Christians don't read financial things. Most Christians aren't aware of the markets. Most Christians aren't looking at those things. What's happening in world economies. There's places right now in a lot of countries, you don't carry any money. You just have, you just have your card, but now they're experimenting with a little chip. So everybody's just scanned. That's already in a number of countries. They experimented with it there so they can get it all together. It's already happening, folks, in India, in some places in India, all right? So the poor people, everybody, you know, goes, oop, oop, I got my rice. So what I'm saying is, while all this is going on, and we can look at all this stuff in the world, but I'm saying there's bigger fish to fry. And the issue in the last days comes down to souls. Souls. People say, well, we're going to stop that. You won't stop the book of Revelation. So you're not going to stop the book of Revelation. You're not going to stop what has already been said in the Bible. So you can see storm clouds approaching, but what do you do when you see storm clouds approaching? You prepare. If you're a farmer and a big storm, a big snowstorm's coming and your crop is in the ground, you're going to work all night to get in as much as you can before that 12 inches of snow falls on it. That's what you're going to do. You're smart enough to realize you're not going to go around. There's a storm coming. There's a storm coming. No, no. You're going to be in your combine. It's going to be gassed up and you're going to run it until the snow starts to fly. Getting in the harvest. So the last days are unavoidable. 
Many things are happening. I understand that. But they're unavoidable in the sense that the Bible is already written. Jesus is coming back. The church should shine as a glorious church for Jesus. Ready for his return. But in the meantime, getting people saved. Isn't that right? Because otherwise, otherwise they're lost for eternity. It is our responsibility, family members, friends, co-workers, people you're around. It's our responsibility where you, where we live, right? I mean, I, I can't, I, I live here in South Dakota, but I can't go out and do this and this and way out there. No, I'm going to just live right here for Jesus, shine for him. Okay, First Peter, First Peter chapter 2. So all who live godly will suffer persecution. It'll happen inevitably. So Peter says, if you suffer, if when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently, what, what, but when you do good and suffer, and you take it patiently, this is commendable. Now, if you're beaten for your faults, that's for your faults, right? It's like the person said, I got fired from a job because I'm a Christian. No, you got fired because you were late. Or you got fired because you're doing a poor job. Amen. In America, that's most of the time what it is, just because you're late doing a poor job or whatever, not necessarily because you're a Christian. But if you do good and suffer, and you notice that you take it patiently, this isn't a protest. This isn't a finger at somebody, you know. You know, the employer or something, you know. Not, 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 not any of that, no. It's, this, is, this is a godly thing. If you take it patient, patiently, this is commendable before God. Now, incidentally, suffering in, in the Bible is never equated with sickness. So when you look at the New Testament in the context of suffering... If you do good and suffer, it is never equated with sickness. Amen. It's never equated with that. It's too many times Christians get the opposite thing. I'm, I'm suffering so forth. No, you, you're sick. <laughs> but this is suffering for Jesus, right? So, so you're suffering not because of poor choices. You're suffering because of good choices in following Jesus Christ. That's, that's the context there. Let's go next chapter, 1 Peter 3. If you suffer, notice, he, who will harm you if you become followers of that which is good? Question, all right? Who will harm you? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. <laughs> Let's just look at this again. You're suffering. Why are you suffering? What is the context of suffering? Well, it might mean you, you're tempted to be hurt. You're tempted to be upset. You might be tempted to retaliate. But you bring that all in the context of the Word of God. So suffering means I'm going to humble myself. If you suffer for righteousness' sake, and then it uses these three words, you are blessed. Which, of course, we never, when we think of the blessing of God, we're never thinking of these terms, right? But, but what it means by blessed, it means you're standing, really, you're standing with Jesus when that happens. You're suffering for righteousness' sake. Now, notice this says, don't be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Now, we should understand this. This is a real thing, especially around the world. People are threatened all the time. What are they threatened with? They're threatened that they're going to get killed. 
We have friends in countries where people have said, we're going to kill you. You come here, we're going to kill you. So, so this is a big deal. I was ministering some years back with uh, an SDSU student who was a Muslim. And we had a private meeting that, where we met. And where we met was a public place, but it was kind of in a corner. And he talked in very low tones. Because, because he had already inquired on the internet something about Jesus. And so his other friends, his other, and he, was, he grew up in the Middle East, but his other friends already said, now you come back, we will kill you. Just because he inquired about something else. And his friend says, when you come back, we will kill you. I would call that a threat. And as we talked and so forth, what, was this, what, was, what did he want? He wanted to know about Jesus. He wanted to know about the Messiah. He wanted to know about who he was. He wanted to know my testimony, of course. We have people in town that, that like this. If, if they, they would never come here, because if they came here, they would be threatened with death. People say, oh, it's in America. That doesn't happen. That happens all the time, folks. There are honor killings even in the United States. In some places in the United States, when you go in Detroit, they already have Sharia law. They already have it. Incidentally, our, our own state could not pass a law, our own state of South Dakota, some years back in the state legislature. They wanted to put in there that the state of South Dakota would only recognize the constitutional laws of the United States. And it would not pass. Do you know why it wouldn't pass? Because that would be hateful to Muslims. It would be hateful to Islam. And our own legislators in this state back down. And they're just going to bury this bill. And we're not going to have it. I would call that a threat. And the Bible says, don't be troubled. Now, now, see, in the set, now, why am I sharing some of this is because if you don't talk about things, what happens, people get very troubled. Like, I never heard of this. I didn't know these things were going on. So what do you do? What do you, what do, you do prepare before a, a big game or biggie, you know, conf, you know, coming a big war? You prepare people, right? There's even times where in the military, I know as they train, people would crawl. They'd have wire above them, but they'd crawl, but they'd use live ammunition. Why would they use live ammunition? Because it would get them used to things going over their head. Bullets. Not meant to hurt them. But they're crawling on their belly with live ammunition going over their head. My brother did that. So they hear what it sounds like bullets going by over your head, training them so that what? When they're in the real deal, they know what the real deal is like. It's not like, what was that? And stick their head up when they shouldn't stick their head up. You train, you prepare so that, so that when more things happen, eventually more things will happen around the world. But when they do, you're not troubled. In other words, you still want to sleep at night, right? Amen? If you have children, you want to teach them the Word of God so they sleep at night. 
It shouldn't be that Christians are walking around with all out of kilter. No, the Christians are the light of the world, right? So that people are looking at us like, why are you not afraid? How come you're not worried? They're not troubled, so sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. You will always be ready to give a defense or an answer to everyone who asks you. So what is, what is this implying? It means that they're seeing something different in you than they're seeing around themselves. And so you're giving an answer to everyone who asks you. A reason of the, the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. So you're giving them an answer of where you're following Jesus. Amen? Giving them an answer. People, the more we stand for Jesus, now we're talking about good behavior, good things in your job and so forth, but the more we stand for Jesus, the more you will stand out as someone different. And people will ask you questions about your life. That is good. And you can answer them. So, so even though it says, do not be afraid of the threats or be troubled, you, gotta, you, have, to st- you have to stand. One pastor said years ago, this is many years ago, but a woman that had gotten saved and she was in an abusive relationship with her husband. And, and she started going to church. She started living for Jesus and reading her Bible and so forth. And she got up on a Sunday morning and she was getting dressed and her husband, you know, where are you gone? You know, and she said, I'm going to church. And he was just very, very angry. And he goes over to the dresser and he pulls out his revolver. And he says, you're not going to church. He points the gun at her head. And she said, if you pull the trigger, I'm going to heaven with Jesus. And if you don't, I'm going to church. There are real things, real things, real questions that we face in life. That we could call a fiery trial. First Peter 4. Again in Peter here. But 4.12. Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial. Which is to try you. So in other words. We shouldn't be surprised. By fiery trials. Now one of these fiery trials. Is not sickness. Okay. <laughs> it's none of those things. It's never those things. These, all these things deal with. Persecution. They deal with how. You might be treated. Don't, don't think it's strange, all right? As so some strange thing has happened to you, and folks, reality is happens everywhere, right? So, so you never want to take it personally like, oh, woe is me, oh, I'm a victim. <laughs> no, you, actually, what did, he, what did we say before? He says, he said, you're blessed. Hallelujah. Rejoice. Rejoice to the extent that you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Now, again, the sufferings of Christ. Was Jesus sick? No, he was never sick. All right? Never sick. Didn't have to pop an aspirin or anything like that. He was well. He's the Son of God. But we're partaking of the sufferings of Christ in that Jesus was rejected of men. Amen? He was rejected. He was uh, persecuted in that way, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If we repro- reproach for the name of Christ, blessed are you. So we begin have to think, let's, let's modify our thing of blessing to realize, hey, I guess this, we're not just talking about money here. <laughs> we're talking about if we're reproached, ridiculed, blasphemed for the name of Jesus Christ, and he says, you're blessed. 
And he says, God, the glory of God can rest upon you. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In other words, God's going to pour out his grace on us, and he's going to help us in that moment in the things that we face. On their part, he might be blasphemed. On your part, he's glorified. Someone can take the name of Jesus in vain, but you're praising the name of Jesus. On the other hand, amen? Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a busybody, and other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, again, suffering is pertained to the Christian faith, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So our part, all right, we're suffering as a Christian or criticized or whatever, blasphemed. But our part is, is to know that we are to shine for Jesus. Of course, we have many wonderful examples in the Bible we can look at of people. You know, even when Stephen was stoned, he never, he never called down judgment on his stoners and people. He said, Lord, hold us not to their charge. And he just falls asleep and goes to be with Jesus. Things to think about, right? So that, so that as days approach us, we are ready for all things. Amen. You're ready for all things. As I said before, a team going to another stadium, especially if it's an indoor stadium, but even, even a while back I was seeing a game where the decibels were 110 decibels, and this was an outdoor stadium. So it's very, very loud. Of course, nobody's complaining about the noise. That's, that's like you're standing by a jet engine noise in this stadium. Lots and lots of people. And, of course, the people on the ground, the opposing team still has to know what they're doing. And how do they know that? Because they've been prepared. They've been prepared for noise. They've been prepared for adversity. There was a game yesterday. There was a game yesterday that some different things happened. And that there was a hundred and some, over 100,000 people at the game. For, for the opposing team, all of a sudden, garbage was coming onto the field. And the, co- and the one coach got hit with a golf ball on his head. All kinds of debris was coming on the field. He's holding up the official like, like what are you going to do about this? And at the end of the game, they interview him and says, wow, what did you think of that? And they won. Even when they went, even when they went off the field, they were pelted with debris, mustard bottles, anything they could get their hands on. They said, what did you think of that? Well, he said, I guess they're, they were upset. <laughs> but he says, it's a game, and it's just a game. But he never ridiculed the fans, never, never criticized the officials, never did anything like that. Because, because he didn't prepare his team for this sort of thing, but he did prepare them for adversity. So when that happens, when that happens, what do you do? Just do better, right? I mean, I can remember games when we played USD. And in basketball, we played in the barn, the little building on campus that no one knows about anymore. A little hump-shaped building. And USD had a similar-sized building. And so when I was on the bench in a game, at a USD game, I had a warm-up jersey around me because people were right behind us, blank, 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 cussing and swearing and throwing ice at us and hopeless ice, not spit, and, you know, all kinds of things. People think, what'd you do? Nothing. You prepare for adversity. Everybody's on top of you. It's a little tiny place. Everybody's on top of you. 
And you prepare for adversity. And you do what? You go out and play. No one's complaining. No one's, no one's uh, saying this is wrong and so forth. In fact, nowadays, folks, things are pretty tame. I mean, I've told some stories to my kids. <laughs> my daughter Angela said, Dad, you've got to tell these to the grandkids. They ought to hear these things, you know. Because in those days, you had no searches or anything. You'd bring anything into a, an arena, you know. And people did. You know, we were, we were playing a team at the Sioux Falls Arena, and, and uh, players were introduced and so forth. And, and, of course, it was the winter. But in the middle of the time, in the middle of the time, uh, uh, they'd been in the stadium long enough, drank enough alcohol, and, and what they brought in thawed. And they brought in jackrabbits. You know, under their coats, frozen jackrabbits, but they thawed. And so when SCS, when we're introduced, whoo, zoom, 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 boom, hits the floor, and a smear of blood went, went across the floor. And, and, of course, our fans were riotous. Their fans were riot. They loved it and so forth like that. And the one guy, one guy from SDSU picked up the jackrabbit and wheeled it back into their crowd. So you, you had all these commotions going on. Actually, nobody complained. It's called a rivalry. You prepare for something ahead of time. That's why you read the scriptures. When you read the scriptures, it prepares you for adversity. Many Christians, let me just say this. Most of you watching have never heard a message like this. If you're in the United States, forget it. You've never heard a message like it. Because it prepares you to face things to come. Sometimes people say, well, it'll never happen in my day. And maybe it won't. Well, what about your children's day or your grandchildren's day? How do we prepare people? How do we prepare people to live for Christ today? Especially in the body of Christ. And we've got so many people, they're offended. The slightest little thing, they're offended. (laughs) Folks, they've never faced anything. It's just pathetic. It's like a bunch of Christians walking around in diapers. Pooping all over themselves. I'm offended. They have no idea. You send them to some other country like that, they wouldn't know what to do. They'd be screaming to get back here. Let me back. I won't say a word. Let me back. You prepare ahead of time. The Bible talks about us being a good soldier for Jesus Christ. Not a soldier carrying a weapon. Not carrying an arm. Not carrying something to hurt somebody. You're carrying something to love somebody. You're a good soldier for Jesus Christ. So in the middle of adversity, we are here giving out love. That's the challenge, amen? Amen. Because your flesh wants to scream something else. So you prepare yourself spiritually in prayer, mentally and so forth. You prepare yourself for these things. So that when they happen, and someday they will... Let him glorify God. Let him, let him give, be, give him praise to the Lord in the middle of all those things. Oh, just about time. Okay. Let me do a couple more quick verses. Titus, Titus chapter 2. Grace of God brings salvation as appeared to all men. And it has. God is New Testament. Grace. Covenant of grace. Thank you for grace, Lord. It teaches us, though. Grace doesn't teach us to live how we want. 
Grace teaches us that we deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Hallelujah. Grace teaches us that we're going to live on a different level. Grace teaches us you can live on a different level. You don't have to live in ungodliness. You don't have to live in the lusts of the world. You don't. Hallelujah. (laughs) You can live in a higher plane. So we should live soberly. And folks, booze is not, not good, never good. And, of course, the devil tries to bring that in the body of Christ, you know, booze. Live soberly, righteously, godly in the present age, where we're at now, looking for the blessed hope, glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, so we have the blessed hope. We have the hope of eternal life. And that's, that's the thing that ultimately helps us to face all of this. Amen? That we have the hope of eternal life, the hope of being with Christ in heaven Forever. And loved ones the same. Hallelujah. People that get saved. Hallelujah. In the Korean War, I've told this story before, a pastor, though, the, the communists arrest leaders, arrest pastors and so forth. Pastors are some of the first targets that people go after. Well, let's put it this way, if they're speaking the word. <laughs> uh, yeah, I won't go there, but they arrested this pastor and his family, and they put him in a pit. And this was uh, something the communists would do. And so the pit, is they, they said, deny the Lord, you become a communist, or we're going to bury you alive. And so, so they're, they're ready with their shovels and stuff, and the kids are pulling on their, dad, on their dad's garment. Daddy, think of us, think of us, you know, as kids. His heart is torn, as anybody's heart would be. And he was thinking, okay, like he was going to deny Christ. And it's just as he was going to say that, his wife grabbed him, and she said, no. Just think, tonight we'll be feasting with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And she started a song, and she started a hymn. She began to sing, and he caught the vision, the kids caught the vision, and they were buried alive. And a hundred people that witnessed that, I'm sure many people witnessed it, but a hundred people that witnessed that personally ended up in Cho's church in Seoul, Korea, born again, spirit-filled Christians. Because of the testimony that they saw that someone was willing to give their life up for Jesus Christ. First John 3, verse, let's, let's end here. First John 3. It says, we are, we are the children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, we shall be. But we know that when he's revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him. Say, hope in Jesus purifies himself just as he is pure. So when we have this hope of eternal life, the hope of going to heaven, it affects how we live this life. I should not be so in love with this world and all the things of this world that I'm not willing to leave this world. If I'm threatened, if something comes against us, our hope ultimately, should be in Jesus Christ. He is the hope of our salvation. He is the anchor of our hope. He is the one who gives us eternal life. It is where we are going. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're going to die someday. Now, the good news, the good news is you're alive today, right? Because we all someday will leave. One, one way or another, we're going to leave this earth unless Jesus comes first. So the good news is we're alive today. So knowing our mortality should make our day today better. That you appreciate today. 
you appreciate. Some of you have lost loved ones and so forth. Our parents are long gone and so forth. And, 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 but you've lost loved ones and you have to think about it. Hey, you, you're alive though. You're alive. You have the hope of eternal life. Someday we're going there. But right now is our time to shine for Jesus. Work while it's yet day. For the night comes when nobody can work. So, Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that you are moving in our hearts. You are preparing your church for the days that are ahead. And that, Lord, you're raising up a glorious church, a mighty church, a strong church, a church that's in love with you, a church that is a witness to the world. Hallelujah. We thank you for raising us up in that church, Lord. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, giving us strength, giving us wisdom, giving us, Lord, direction how to live our lives right now. Help us to be witnesses to the people around us that we see all the time, to our family, to our children, our grandchildren, our co-workers. Help us to be witnesses for you, Father. Help us to shine as lights for you in Jesus' name. Think of somebody, just a second, think of somebody you can text. Think of somebody you can text. Take your phone and text somebody. Just the simplicity is Jesus loves you. <laughs> I love that. Text somebody. Tell them Jesus loves you. I'm praying for you. God cares about your life. He is for you, not against you. Uh, uh, just, just text somebody. Use your phone. Use your technology to specifically say the name of Jesus. Specifically say the name of of Jesus. Plant the seeds. Plant the seeds. We can water them in prayer, but you got to plant the seeds first. Hallelujah. So use your phone. Use your technology. Use those things that you can talk to people around the world, around the world with the love of God. So Father, thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Stand up, bless your neighbor, amen. <laughs> In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this inspirational message. We trust that you were encouraged in your faith. For additional information or resources, please contact the church at 605-692-4616. You can email us at holylife at brookings.net or visit our website at holylifetabernacle.com. If you're in the Brookings area, please stop by to visit a service. We are located at 241 Mustang Pass, just off Main Avenue South. Our service times are Sundays at 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m., also Wednesday nights at 7. God bless you.